feel like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, had, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also he who also who had had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will send you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I need to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here you, here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, had, where I scattered no seed, that you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the man who has the ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. A couple of you guys are awake today. We've got the windows open here. Am I not on here? No. Oh, no. I just turned my soul. That's what, oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Good morning again. Man, welcome. We are so glad you are here uh, joining us for uh, yeah, church this morning, and we are in the midst of a series on the seven deadly sins, uh, the gift you, you didn't know you needed, right? You're welcome. We're going to talk about deadly sins this morning in this uh, lovely uh, summer heat here. And uh, the whole point we've been trying to make with this series, the, the, the framing idea uh, when Chris Brissett kind of started with us a few weeks back is that um, God is our Father. He loves us and wants to protect us against the things that will hurt us or kill us or damage us. And so to ignore some of these more difficult topics like the deadly sins would be kind of irresponsible for us as a church. We need to preserve language for those kind of things that will be dangerous, not just to our hearts and souls, but to our relationships and our lives and to the whole fabric of society in which we live. And so 
That's why we're talking about seven deadly sins and digging in each week to a different one of those sins. And this week we're talking about the sin of sloth. The sin of sloth. (laughs) Oh, we do have a sloth too. Oh man, what a cute guy, right? Like surely the sloth must seem like the most benign of the seven deadly sins, right? How could laziness kill or hurt anyone? How could this cute guy be the mascot for that uh, that deadly sin, I mean, compared to like lust or anger or some of these other sins that just, they just, you know, they're just obvious and they're so much more dramatic and so much more stigmatized, right? Sloth might fly under the radar. It might not be one of those sins you think, you know, does it really belong in the deadly category? I mean, you know, what harm could come from vegging out on the couch with a bag of Takis and watching Ted Lasso? I mean, I mean, who is like, you know, or losing yourself in the latest Legend of Zelda or checking out for, you know, Middle Earth or Hogwarts and, you know, just being oblivious to the world around you, you know? And, and also, what's the difference between sloth and rest? You know, the, you know, that Sunday afternoon nap that we all love so much, you know, that could be a person that has been working hard and laboring in the Lord and just needs a nap. And then <laughs> that same person could also be the sluggard who hasn't woken up all morning and is just still laying on the couch and, uh, from Saturday. And so, um, you know, we, we find ourselves when we're wrestling with sloth with lots of questions. And we're going to try and answer some of those questions this morning and uh, hopefully help you get a little bit better handle on sloth and not only get a handle on it, but actually address it and uh, kill it before it kills us. And so uh, a couple things I want to talk about this morning here. I want to start with the problem of sloth, right? Why it's a deadly sin, why we need to discuss it, why we need to talk about it, why we need to be aware of it. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is the heart of sloth, right? I'm not here to just tell you work harder today. So, you know, you lazy people, you know, just get to work, you know, end of sermon. And that would be a really easy sermon if I could just kind of say, don't do that. Don't be lazy. That would be easy, but it wouldn't be helpful, I don't think, to you. So we want to get a little bit deeper into the heart of sloth, and then we're going to look at the cure for sloth, or how we can see real heart and life change in our lives. And my aim for this morning's sermon is to shake us, if I could, out of any apathy or complacency uh, to love in the same way that we have been loved. So consider this a gentle pastoral shaking this morning out of any apathy that might have crept in here. Um, That's not at all to uh, put a damper on any of your lovely summer vacation plans to rest and be refreshed this summer. But if there's any sloth, I want to shake you out of that complacency. So let's pray this morning that God would meet us as we dive into this particular uh, sin here this morning. And so, Father, we are so happy to be gathered together as your people. What a privilege to sing your praises. What a privilege to be able to just share life with these brothers and sisters, friends, family, and uh, yeah, to be able to share life together in uh, the gospel. And we pray this morning that you'd give us help, God, as we address this subject of law of sloth. So easy for us to check out, to veg out, to disengage from all of the beautiful opportunities that you give us every day uh, to love the people around us. Uh, So would you give us eyes to see these opportunities, uh, compassionate hearts uh, to move towards the people around us and the energy to engage in all the opportunities that you've given us. Uh, Would you get all that glory out of the acts of love and deeds of faith coming out of this 
church body, God, as you uh, continue to animate us and move us with your love. So would you come this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit? Uh, Would you encourage the saints? Would you challenge the slothful? Would you encourage uh, the weary? Uh, Would you work in all the ways uh, that you work this morning? Um, All for the good of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the problem of sloth. Uh, The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about um, sloth, as you might uh, guess here in the Old Testament. um, There's a whole vocabulary, a whole series of words that help inform what sloth looks like. And so we read about the sluggard, right, in Proverbs. We read about the slothful, we read about the idle, or we read about the indolent person, just to name a few. Um, I've got a few verses for you um, to look at here, maybe just to help you with that vocabulary as we start thinking about sloth. Proverbs 19, 15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer harm. Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer harm. Or Ecclesiastes 10.18, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So, so a little sloth, a little idleness. And then Proverbs 21.25, uh, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. These passages of Scripture, and many more like them, Picture sloth as failing to follow through with our basic responsibilities and hurting ourselves and others around us, okay? So we've been given by God these wonderful responsibilities to do, um, and sloth, laziness, idleness, the sluggard doesn't do them, doesn't follow through on those basic responsibilities. So think about some of the basic responsibilities in your life. Um, here are a few to consider, right? Your family, the people that God has put you in a relationship, your nuclear family, maybe your extended family, the people that you are in close proximity with every day. Uh, maybe you're in roommates right now. Maybe you're not in a nuclear family right now. Maybe you have roommates. Maybe you have classmates um, that you're working with. Obviously, school just got out, so probably classmates doesn't apply. Coworkers, neighbors, the people that God has put into your life, and think about all the responsibilities that God has given us towards those people, and think about the fallout that comes when we don't follow through with our basic responsibilities. I always hear students talking about the dread of group projects. (laughs) No, not a group project, you know. One person is always going to be doing all the work, and everybody else is just hanging on their bootstraps. Or that project at work, right, where you're put in a team, and you know who are the movers and shakers, you know who's going to get the job done, and those are just kind of loafing around. Or in the local, you know, nuclear family system, right, we, we get the weight and we get the understanding. I think of that. I know for me, like, I am pretty tempted, shame to admit it, right, to deal with, like, basic things, parenting and finances, two things I will just confess to publicly, right? I want my kids, when I tell them, you know, to do something, just go do it, right? And I can get back to my grown-up thing and have them just do whatever I tell them to do. And when I have to actually parent, like, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's, 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 you know, I just want to kind of lay on the couch, watch TV, read my book, do what I'm doing, right? And that's an easy thing. Finances are another one of those areas where I'm like, wouldn't it be nice every month if your finances just perfectly lined up in your, your budget, your finance app, and all the categories were green, there was no red, and like everything just came together perfectly. And you're like, beautiful, piece of cake. Um, but that's just not how life works. Like chaos ensues on the home front and chaos ensues 
suffice if we don't do the due diligence, right? If we don't do the work to show up to those important responsibilities, right, chaos will ensue. And so not fulfilling our basic responsibilities and the harm it causes uh, is highlighted rather pointedly in Proverbs. As you read through Proverbs, it will give you much wisdom on that subject. But Jesus highlights the related danger, and this is what we read in our scripture reading this morning, of not using the gifts, talents, and abilities we've been given to serve and bless others, right? So God has given us talents, he's given us gifts, he's given us abilities. And Jesus' parable of the talents really helps us see it's not just keeping up with our basic responsibilities, but it's withholding the good gifts that God has given us from others. In the story, if you were paying attention, there are three servants. And they're all given sums of money, um, which are called talents in this parable, as that was the form of money in the ancient Near East of that time, or in the uh, first century Greco-Roman world. Um, the first gets the money and invests it wisely, right? He gets a, the largest sum of money, and he makes the most money out of it. The second gets a little bit less money, but he still invests it wisely and makes more money. So far, so good, right? They've been given these talents. They've been given this money to invest. They invest it. They make more money. The third person gets the least amount of money, but doesn't invest it at all. He simply buries it in the ground. And when the master returns after his long journey, the other servants are richly rewarded for taking the talents they've been given, investing them, and making more money. But this slothful servant, notice this word there, he's described very poignantly as a slothful servant, is rebuked. The little he has is taken from him, and he's cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this parable used to always bother me as a kid. I'm like, this poor guy. Like, I mean, he just buried the, buried the coin in the ground and gave it back to his master. Like, he, you know, the guy didn't lose any money. Like, what's going on here? Like, isn't this a little harsh? Like, you know, getting cast into the outer darkness? But what I missed is the point that we were created by God with incredible gifts, talents, and abilities to use for God's glory and the good of the people around us. And so to withhold our gifts from others is not only selfish, but sinful and therefore dangerous to the whole fabric of society, right? From the nuclear family upwards to our a church community, to this city that we live in, to a country, right? If people just withhold their gifts from each other, imagine, right, in your family, if mom just went on strike, Sorry, like, I'm not going to do any of the stuff that I do anymore. No more dinners for you guys. No more minivan rides to, to sports. Like, like you know, the, I know our household would ground to an utter halt, right, if those gifts were withheld, right? And you can imagine that in a family. You can imagine that at work if, you know, just like people are just going on strike. I'm not going to use my gifts, my talents. You can imagine that in a church context where no one wants to contribute or give their gifts or, or in a city context, right? That would be a tragic Circumstance with heart, withholding our gifts hurts people that need our help, right? We're, we're withholding help that other people need. So what are maybe some of the basic gifts God has given you? Maybe a few I threw up here on the screen just to give you a few things to think about. Maybe, maybe you're really gifted at serving and helping, and those are gifts that you can use to really help and bless others. Maybe it's strategizing, organizing galvanizing a team together. Maybe you bring wisdom and knowledge and discernment to the conversations in which you are a part. Maybe you bring leadership. Maybe you bring vision. Maybe you're a dreamer, and that's the thing you contribute to the, the group of people which you find yourself. Maybe it's enabling or empowering or 
delegating, maybe it's hospitality or generosity, teaching, training and equipping, connecting, care. Think of all of those beautiful gifts that God has given each of us, right? Different gifts uh, for each person in the body and in a local family and local context. Uh, but have you ever thought about the consequences of just withholding your gifts from the people around you? You're just like, nope, I'm not going to use any of those gifts to help those people around me, either in your home or either in your job, in your church, whatever. Have you thought about that? I think it's a very striking thing this week as I was kind of considering what would happen if everyone just went on strike and decided, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to meet my responsibilities. I'm not going to use my gifts for uh, their good and God's glory. And so what keeps us from following through with our basic responsibilities and using our gifts to serve and bless others? What causes us, right, to be lazy would be an easy way to talk about it, to just be slothful, to be idle, um, to be the, the, the infamous sluggard in the Proverbs. There are obvious distractions like our phones, uh, Netflix being one of them. Uh, there are mental health factors like depression and anxiety, right, that can paralyze us. Uh, but what's at the heart of it all? Uh, the ancient spiritual man, if, this, if the ancient spiritual masters are right, sloth is not merely laziness, but a failure to love. Sloth is not merely laziness, but a failure uh, to love. So when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he responded this way in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, our basic responsibilities in life are loving God and loving people, right? And all the gifts, talents, abilities we have are to be leveraged towards that great end. At its heart, sloth is resistance to this great calling to love God and love neighbor. It's failing to follow through with all our responsibilities to love the people God has put in our lives. It's a refusal to use our gifts to love God and serve others. And this, at least for me, was a wake-up call to the seriousness of sloth, right? I mean, if sloth is just slacking off a little bit here and there, I could maybe dismiss it as kind of a, you don't want to work with somebody who has this problem, but you're like, is it really that deadly? Um, but man, I want to love well, right? I want to love people well. I want to be a, a lover and in the relationships. I want the people to know that I'm in close relationship to know that I care about them, I love them, that I'm with them, that I'm for them, that I'm going to pour out my heart in service to them. And so that was a bit of a wake-up call to me. If at the heart of sloth is just a failure to love, a lack of love, a resistance to all the demands of love, right, then we've got a problem here. We've got a serious problem, right? Having a busy household of four boys and 20 plus uh, foster kids over the last seven years, I feel like I've definitely bumped up against my limited capacity to love. You know, I'm always like, how do I love all these wonderful, beautiful people God has put in my life? And my wife is always challenging me and provoking me with her greater capacities to, to, to love and be engaged, right? Managing all that chaos can at times leave me at wit's end. I don't know if some of you maybe can relate. Maybe if you're in that young parenting stage, just trying to keep your head above water, you know, with, uh, with kids. Uh, what was the one comedian <laughs> said, you know, having, having kids is like, you know, it's like you're drowning and someone hands you a, a screaming child. Like you know, some, some of us are in maybe that place right now. We're just like, gosh, like I'm dying here, right? You know, I'm checking out, I'm zoning out, I'm tapping out, I'm burning out, I'm 
I'm just like, man, all of the challenges and difficulties and, you know, pressures of love are just too much, right? They're, they're just, I'm tapping out. So how does Jesus meet us at our wit's end, right? How does Jesus meet us in our burnout? How does Jesus meet us in our compassion fatigue, if you're working in the helping world? How does Jesus meet us when we come to the end of our own limited capacities to love? How does Jesus meet us sitting on the couch devouring Takis and watching Ted Lasso? How does Jesus meet us right in the middle of our mess? If anything, the Bible teaches us that we're not sufficient in ourselves. We're not bottomless reservoirs of love. We're leaky containers, if anything, right? We're not in and of ourselves. We have a limited capacity to love. We need to be repaired. We need, our capacity to love needs to be repaired, needs to be expanded. We need to be filled. And I'm assuming that is why you're here this morning. Instead of sitting on the beach or grabbing lunch at your favorite local spot, Right? We need our capacities to love to be deepened and expanded. And the good news is that God sent Jesus to do just that. Jesus is not at all limited, thankfully, in his love. There are a lot of things the Bible says about God, uh, but John tells us that God is love. This is who he is, and Jesus is love incarnate, love lived out among us. And we saw that as we went through the Mark series that we just finished spending an entire year looking at the compassion and love and mercy of Jesus that just flowed out of everything that he was doing. We see this written large in all of his life and all of his ministry, but we see it ultimately in Jesus' determination to overcome all obstacles, including death itself, to demonstrate his love for us. Jesus dealt with the sin separating us from God by taking it all on himself on the cross. And this is no sentimental hallmark love, right? This is death by love. There is absolutely no hint of sloth in our Savior. His love is so focused, so potent, and so strong that the world has never been the same. And Jesus didn't simply come to die for all of our failures to love, all of our incapacities to love. He rose again to make us new people filled with his love. I love how Paul says this in Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. This is what we need, right, to expand our limited capacities to love. This is where our leaky love containers, right, can be refilled and filled to over. We need God's love filling that void within us, expanding our natural capacities to love beyond what maybe we can naturally love. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, this is why Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 like this. He, he prays, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength together with the saints to comprehend, together with all the saints to comprehend what is the breath and the length and the height and the depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's, that's an audacious prayer. That's something worth skipping brunch and the beach uh, to be filled with God's love for all the wonderful, beautiful callings of love you're going to encounter this week. And I want to suggest that it's the largesse of this love that wins our hearts. It's the intensity of this love that breaks the power of sloth. To be loved in this way shakes us out of our apathy and complacency. It's the relentlessness of this love that, that gets at our hearts. It's the breath of this love that helps us love more broadly than we thought possible. It's the, the depth of this love that deepens and expands our own affections beyond our natural capacities. It's the heights of this love that expand our vision for what is possible, that helps us dream big kingdom dreams about how God's love might be displayed, not just here in this building and amongst this church family, but with our neighbors and, and uh, people here in our city and our state and ultimately outwards to the nations, right? God's love can overcome the stiffest resistance of sloth if we'll let it in, if we'll let God's love begin to change and transform who we are. So what would it look like practically this week in the messiness of your everyday existence, your everyday life, to overcome the resistance of sloth with the power of God's love? Let me give you just uh, three suggestions here this morning, and then I'm done. Suggestion number one, take a nap or get a good night's sleep. Take a nap or get a good night's sleep. Loving people is hard work. If you're young parents, you know that very well. You're operating on a sleep deficit right now. Loving people is hard work. Don't try to enter the life of love on empty. In rest and in Sabbath, we acknowledge our finitude, that we're not God and that we cannot be all things to all people all the time. We need to rest well, both physically and spiritually, to love well. Rest is so important, but sloth, and this is where we see the contrast, sloth is the counterfeit of true rest. In sloth, we minimize responsibilities to maximize comfort. We disengage so that we can avoid the call to love. Do you see the difference? In rest, we're, we're resting to love and to pour back out to the others around us. In sloth, we are disengaging from all the challenges, difficulties, responsibilities, burdens, calls, and invitations of love, which is why true rest might require cutting back on some of the mindless me time that we do, the infinity scroll on the phone, the, the binge watching of certain shows, or binge reading for some of us who are more readers, the, the video games that suck us in into uh, an infinite, infinite number of games. Satan's time-tested strategy is to move us from sloth to frantic activity to burnout and right back again to sloth. And you're going to have to be intentional if you are going to resist that satanic recipe of laying around, avoiding all responsibilities, and realizing, oh man, i got, I got to make some money. i got to do it up. And then running frantically around like a chicken with your head cut off, and then collapsing into sloth. And then and just living in that lifestyle of frantic activity, you know, the kind of rest that's not true rest. So, so the first thing you're going to need is to take a nap. Get some true rest. Second, let's, Redemption City, meditate on the love of God in Christ this week until our hearts are warm. 
If sloth is disengagement from all of the demands of love, love helps us show up and be fully present with the people God has put in our lives, right? We can see the needs, we can listen to the concerns, or we can, (laughs) jump ahead here, being cold to God's love will make it much easier to be cold to others, right? If our hearts are warmed by the love of God, when we see others around us, we're going to move towards them, right? Our hearts are going to be warm, they're going to be soft, they're going to be sensitive instead of cold and hard. God's love is the flame that keeps our passions hot for both God and the people in our lives. Let's stoke the flames this week with fellowship and with personal devotion, time renewing, reminding yourself of God's love for your time with brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to encourage you to that beautiful work. And then finally, let's be fully present with the people God has put in our lives, right? That's the the reality. If you think of the quintessential sloth, it is to be fully disengaged from others. (laughs) It is to be fully checked out, vegged out on the couch, disengaged from all the responsibilities around us. So, So let's be fully present, right? If sloth is disengagement, love helps us show up and be fully present with the people God has put in our lives. We can see the needs. We can listen to the concerns. We can move towards the opportunities to love in our lives. And surely in a distracted age, this is one of the most beautiful gifts that we can offer, right? To be the kind of people that are fully present with the people around us. Uh, I started this morning with uh, the image of the sloth here with this cute little adorable little guy here. And, uh, and I was like, man, what a, what a guy. He just kind of lounges around all day, doesn't get anything done. But my son Jonathan informed me that while sloths are certainly slow, they aren't lazy. Their, their slow metabolism comes from digesting um, leaves that they eat. And so they're actually pretty productive. Their slower pace also allows them to avoid predators, contributes to the whole ecosystem in which they live, they're actually quite effective in what they do. They're, they're brilliant creatures. And my son, being a great lover of animals, was quick to inform me uh, that, that these sloths are using their energy in very intentional, very effective ways to do what God has called them to do, which got me thinking, could we be a church, right, that preserves our energy, that, that rests well to love well with the people around us? Wouldn't that be beautiful? That's what Jesus called us to do, right? That, that they would know we are Christians by our love by the way we move towards other people in the midst of their pain and that's the difficulties and challenges around them. And that's the kind of church, right? We want to be, as a church, a church that is intentional about moving, instead of moving away from people, instead of just caving into the distraction we see all around us in our, our culture, all the ways we're just tempted to check out and zone out, uh, to be people fully present, fully alive to the people around us. So let's pray that God might actually be doing that in our lives and our heart. And I'll be praying certainly for myself this week to be more fully present, more fully alive in love to the people God has placed in our lives. And so, Father, thank you so much uh, for uh, the beautiful uh, example we see in Jesus uh, running through all the hurdles, all the challenges, all the diversity going to and through the cross, uh, God, to show and demonstrate his love for us once and for all. So we don't have to wonder uh, whether we're loved, uh, God, whether you care about us, whether you're concerned for us, God. We, we stand in your love. We, we sing about your love. We rest in your love. We're going to taste and we're going to see your love here in just a minute as we gather around the Lord's table. So would you give us an opportunity here at this time 
uh, God, to just pray that you might be filling us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul tells us God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We want that to be a reality more and more here at Redemption City Church. Would you do that uh, for each person that's a part of this family? And would we tangibly, visibly, uh, practically as a church experience the beautiful benefits of loving well, showing up to each other well, being fully present with each other. And we pray that you'd get all the glory in the beauty that that community can offer to the world we live. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So each week here, 